Blog Talk Radio. Listen to their struggles as they turn them into triumphs. In a city full of challenges, they only search for victory, and nothing will hold them back. These are their stories. So sit back, relax, and welcome to their city. Wrestle City Radio. And hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Russell City Radio. I want to go ahead and before we begin, as usual, thank all of our listeners new and all those who are tuning in from our past episodes, giving us a shot here on, of course, podcasting, Blog Talk Radio. Thank you very much for hosting, being the the platform for Russell City Radio. And again, we thank you all listeners for tuning in as well and giving us another shot. My name is George Alonzo. I am the host of Russell City Radio. It's their city, so we're about to hear their stories of struggles turning into triumph. And what an episode we have here today, as, of course, we share respectful opinions on the world of professional wrestling from a fan's point of view for a show that's made by a fan for the fans. And, of course, we also have a very honorable guest here today. I am so pleased to announce that we're going to have, by the way, before I continue, uh, I do have to say, per the marketing department, we are we do apologize for the title on our show here. I do not want our guest to be in any sort of trouble. So, by all means, he is the associate producer. Okay, not the executive producer. He is the associate producer of the 350-day documentary and, of course, the associate producer of the film with Mickey Rourke, The Wrestler. I am talking about our guest here today is Evan Ginsberg. We'll be here on our show later today. Now, guys, I am super excited for this episode just because of that. And on top of that, I get to discuss another thing on the women's revolution, of course, as we're all being hyped for the May Young Classic. And, of course, I have to say this tournament is probably by far even better than the first. The, the talent, the amount of international talent on this tournament, I feel, has, ex- has grown to exponential gross, okay, to a point that I cannot wait for this tournament to start. Uh, as a matter of fact, from what I even hear is that Mauro Nalo will be announcing this event uh, come when it begins to, uh, to film. But, guys, we have Japanese stars. We have European stars. We have American stars. Man, this tournament, again, like I was telling on our show last week, you know, is not about the company who did it first or who did it last. Is about the women, the women who actually got this opportunity and are taking the ball and running with it. Let's stop focusing on the whole company thing. Let's focus on who is receiving it and how far they're taking it. And you women, no matter if you're a TNA superstar, if you're a WWE superstar, an ROH superstar, you could even be a WOW superstar. Congratulations to all you women. You are definitely paving the way uh, for future women that are right behind you. Now, a lot of people are actually wondering. I've been on constant phone calls uh, asking me, hey, who do you think uh, is going to win the May Young uh, tournament uh, this time around? Who do I have my money on? Guys, I have to say, 
it could be a two-time where a Japanese superstar takes the tournament by storm. This year, you know, last year was Kyrie Sane uh, when she uh, won the entire tournament against the current NXT Women's Champion Shayna Baszler. But this this year, I want to put my money on Io Shirai just because she's possibly one of the hottest signings currently right now in the WWE. Now. If you also ask me, hey, uh, pick a, a random person. Uh, who who would you want to win the tournament? That's a great, great. Wow, I, I, what word did I just mention there? Wow, I apologize for that. So, uh, who do I want to see win this championship tournament? If it's some random person, if it's someone that you couldn't predict. Uh, you know, I don't know if she has been announced yet or not for the tournament. Uh, so many great women have been announced for this tournament. If she is or if she isn't, I want to go ahead and say my money would have been on in case she hasn't been announced. Or if she's announced, my money would have been on Deanna Perrazzo, uh for the win on this tournament. Someone just randomly as far as the uh, the tournament win is concerned. Now, guys... For all you that have your comments, questions uh, about my predictions here today about the May Young Classic, feel free to drop us a line on our Russell City Radio fan page on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Russell City Radio on Facebook. All you have to do is send us a quick message or even leave us a comment and tell us what you think about the May Young Classic this year and who you have predicting, of course, winning the tournament this year as well. And we'll be more than happy to read it off on the air here today. Uh, again, guys, also for those who are brand new to our show, who are brand new to Russell City Radio, I want to go ahead and inform you guys of a policy we have around here in our studios as we have forbidden live call-ins from the fans, not because, you know, anything that you did wrong. I'm not trying to point fingers and say you did anything wrong because you didn't. The only f reason we are not allowing that anymore is because of past situations with actual prank callers uh, disrespecting the guests that we have live on the air uh, from making homosexual remarks about our guests to actually even talking about a mental illness uh, trying to uh, prank one of our guests as well which we will never forget but guys that is the reason why we don't allow any more live call-ins from our fans. We do apologize for any of that inconvenience. We hope that doesn't turn you away from Russell City Radio. But if you do have a question for our guests, whether it's tonight or any future night, please do feel free to, again, drop a message on our Russell City Radio fan page or a comment or a status onto our page. Again, it's facebook.com backslash Russell City Radio, and we will ask our guest the question, and we will name drop you as well, just to make sure that you get the credit for that question. So, be as that may, guys, back to the topic at hand, the May Young Classic, I feel uh, it's a barn burner. It's, it's going to steal the, sh the show, I believe, just like the U.K. tournament stole the show once again this year uh, over the United Kingdom. As far as even announcing the NXT U.K. brand, which we should hopefully see on a future, uh, you know, televised on the WWE Network. Uh, so time will tell. We will see how that goes, as a lot of people have even been waiting for progress to show up, of course, on the WWE Network. Uh, a lot of people were even expecting Evolve to show up because of their partnership with the WWE. We have yet to see any of that. I don't think you'll ever see Evolve. Maybe progress has a better chance, but I don't think you'll ever see Evolve come over to the WWE Network. Now, another thing I did want to discuss, guys. Uh, which is a very hot topic from what I've noticed before we went on the air. I, you know, the marketing department did not add this into the, to the uh, text document of the story of this episode, but I'm going to go ahead and make, make a very clear statement about this because it's something that's very, very popular going on in 
the world of professional wrestling right now. I'm talking about Matt Riddle. A lot of people are actually curious to see where he goes, whether it's New Japan or WWE. Let me tell you something, folks. No matter where Matt Riddle goes, it's going to be great because we will get to see Matt Riddle where he belongs in the main screen, whether it's in New Japan Pro Wrestling or is in the WWE. Where would he make stardom? I believe he will make stardom in both, uh, no matter where he goes. So, personally, man, I, I'm not going to go ahead and say, hey, I pick you know, him to go into New Japan because of this, or I pick WWE because of this, because both companies are worldwide now. New Japan has grown over to the United States, something that's never been done before, uh, where they are producing shows here in the United States now, uh, you know, from California to Florida, and we should be expecting even many more shows being produced here in the United States by New Japan, which even people say that New Japan are writing on the tail of the WWE, that the WWE should be very, very careful because this that is a company that you do not want to sleep on. And maybe we'll even talk to Mr. Evan Ginsberg about this because he is the associate producer, like we were mentioning, of the 350 Days documentary and, of course, The Wrestler. But also, he's a long-time and active pro wrestling fan. He has a huge passion for the business, for what he's learned about the business, for what he's enjoyed about the business, and shoot, what he's even not liked about the business. So we will be talking about with Evan about all these topics here on the show today when we get him on the air in a few minutes. But before we even do that, I want to take some time as well before we get him on the air <clears throat> to do at least a 10 seconds of silence in respect to the three superstars that we lost in one week. I'm talking about Brickhouse Brown. I'm talking about Brian Christopher. And none other than Nikolai Volkov. One of my favorite heels growing up as a kid. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite heels growing up as a kid, besides, of course, everyone's favorite heel at the time, the Iron Sheik. So, guys, with all due respect, before we go on to our interview, let's go ahead and bow our heads in silence in respects for these three great, honorable athletes who paved the way for the stars that you currently see today on television, and, of course, the ones that will leave us with memories we'll never forget. Ten seconds of silence. All right, thank you very much, folks, for the uh, the respect. Of course, my condolences go to all the friends, family, and, of course, um, loved ones of all three superstars. Uh, my condolences to all of you. But you know what? As they all say, yes, the person might might not no longer be here, but the memories always will, and the memories would definitely be etched in, of course, my memory for years and years and life to come. So, guys, let's go ahead and reach out to our special guest of the evening. I'm talking about the associate producer, not executive, associate producer of 350 Days, the documentary, and the wrestler. Let's go ahead and reach out to Mr. Evan Ginsberg. Hello? Hello, Mr. Ginsberg. Yes. Hey, Mr. Ginsburg, this is George from Russell City Radio. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Of course. No, we appreciate you, man. Like, you took your time to speak with us here. You know, we're just uh, fans just like you, and just the fact that you took this time, we appreciate you, sir. So thank you very much for taking some time to speak with us. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. 
Of course. So, Mr. Ginsburg, first and foremost, you know, again, I did mention uh, that you are the associate producer, as you and I discussed on social media. Uh, we <laughs> I have fixed that, but, you know, don't we all just want to be the money guy now nowadays? Uh, yes and no. It's a whole different set of pressures, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, to- it's a totally different role. In fact, um when we were trying to raise money for the wrestler, I sat in on on a uh, funding meeting, and we wanted eighteen million to do the wrestler, and it, we ended up getting six million. So it, it was truly a low budget indie film, and people don't realize that we actually went into wrestling shows, that ongoing wrestling shows. For example, Ring of Honor. And the fans mm-hmm. did not want us there. We were interrupting <laughs> their shows. These were not extras. We couldn't afford extras for the most part. So uh, <laughs> it was interesting. And at one point, Darren Aronofsky actually gets in the ring on the mic and says, guys, listen, listen, we're going to make a movie that you know, you'll be proud of. Please, we'll, we'll be out of here as soon as we possibly can. Just let us get our shots. So uh, it was really like guerrilla filmmaking. It was it was a wild experience. Um, uh, when Necro when Necro Butcher was wrestling in that um, hardcore scene with Mickey, we had a this sweet little cinematographer from Europe in the middle of the chaos. We, you know, with her like mouth dropping open. She never experienced anything like this. You know, working on art films in Europe. You know, so. Uh, so the executive, the executive producer, you know, gets the money. I was really the wrestling guy, which is a different, different role. Yeah, yeah. Well, mind you, yeah, like I could understand that because sometimes me and my booking agent, the one that uh, that got you on our show here, sometimes we trade back and forth, like trying to see who's the bigger wrestling encyclopedia. So right. yeah, I could see where you're going with being the wrestling guy, a part of the, of course, uh, of Hollywood with the associate producer versus and executive producer. But you know, now that you mention even Mickey, by the way. Uh, Mr. Gisenberg, I know this is the 10-year anniversary of The Wrestler, like you were telling me. Um, A lot of people actually saw that movie as kind of like the resurrection of Mickey Rourke's career. Oh, absolutely. Uh, How did did you feel? Like, did you feel great about that? Yeah. What what happened was, again, on a $6 million budget, none of us got rich from The Wrestler. What happened was Iron Man 2 came along and Mickey got a million dollars for that. That was really his payoff for the wrestler because the wrestler got him hot again. And, um, you know, he he was the uh, villain in Iron Man 2, which came out right after the wrestler. And that was a million dollar payday. So, uh, you know, it it did work out for him and it resurrected his career. And, um, you know, he's been working steadily ever since. You know, The Expendables was... uh, you know, high profile, high profile role, and you know, it, it's been working nonstop ever since ten years. Yeah. And and mind you, like with Mickey being on board with the wrestler, I know you said that. Yeah, you know, it pretty much uh, resurrected his career with all the other movie offers that he was getting, and so on and so forth. But like you were even mentioning, this was a low budget movie. Uh, with the the budget that you uh, had to film it, with all the sacrifices that you and your staff even had to go through just to film it as well by going and interrupting shows and so on and so forth. But this low-budget film became that, and it went all the way to the Oscars. And was nominated for so many awards, and people all over the world from wrestlers to even moviegoers were saying this is, was one of the greatest movies they've ever seen. Like, how did you feel when you were getting all those, like, those feedbacks? Uh, I was at the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center, um, and the wrestler was shown. And um, at the end of the evening, it was sold out. There were 2,300 people there, $40 a ticket. And at the end of the night, at the end of the screening, the audience spontaneously rose and gave us a standing ovation. And I just said to myself, you know, this was the payoff for seven years. People don't realize from the time 
we first met to the time it was financed and shot. It was seven years, four or five script revisions, and uh, it was it's it's a long journey making a film, and um, it it meant a lot. Mickey Rourke won Best Actor at the Golden Globe and was up for um, Best Actor at the Oscars. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't win. Uh, Sean Penn won that year as far as the Oscars. Marissa Tomei was up for Best Supporting Actress, and it, it was really one of the great experiences of my life uh, working on this film. And I tell people all the time, uh, just like Marlon Brando and On the Waterfront, when he says, "I could have been a contender," when when Randy the Ram says. Uh, I'm just a broken down piece of meat. I think it's one of the iconic lines in film history, and I think it's going to survive. I think a hundred years from now, when we're all gone, people will be watching that movie, and that's really the payoff: creating art that people appreciate and love, and will continue watching. And I recently saw in uh, one major, I forget, I forget exactly which publication it was, but they had the greatest sports films of all time, and the wrestler was on the top ten list. And that meant a lot to me, really meant a lot to me. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And just to hear from, like, the inside point of view uh, from that, and that's amazing to hear. And, and I, I have two, actually, other questions when it comes to this the, the movie The Wrestler. Sure, uh, sure. You know, one being, like, yes, The Wrestler, for the most part, got a lot of positive reviews, like, for majority, you know, holdings and majority speaking. But also you had that small percentage of people, fans or wrestlers, that were saying, hey, this movie showed the nasty side of wrestling, and Hmm. they didn't really like it. I was speaking from the realistic point of view because I was training at the time when this film came out. I was feeling what these wrestlers felt, and it's a lot of work, and you guys really put that showing into the movie, like what Randy was going through. Is not just, hey, I'm showing up, let me put my boots on, let me wrestle, finish, and leave. It's a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, uh, stress onto your body as well. But some people didn't see it that way and said, hey, this this showed the nasty side of, of <laughs> pro wrestling. What, what did you have to say when it came to those opinions? Ironically, Jim Cornette was one of those people. And I love Jim Cornette, and I uh, love the Midnight Express. I think the Midnight Express with Cornette were the greatest tag team of all time. And uh, Jim Cornette didn't like the fact that it showed that. But I will tell you for a fact that I have known legendary wrestlers who sold out arenas around the world. And when it was all over, they were pushing a broom they were a security guard. They they were working a strip club, whatever the case may be. And that's because because the promoters do not take care of them. There's no 401ks, pension, health benefits, etc. so on. They basically use them up and spit them out and it was realistic in the sense that many, not all, many wrestlers do not end up well. Nikolai Volkov, who was a dear friend of mine, was making good money mid-80s when uh, the boom period hit, and he saved his money, and he had a farm, and uh, he went on to a uh, you know good day job. He was a building inspector, and Nikolai Volkov was one of the success stories uh, as far as uh, you know his money. But there are many, many other cases, and you know there's more Kamalas than there are Nikolai Volkovs. Let's put it that way. Guys who did not make what they should have made and did not end up well, and it's tragic because, you know, uh, our new movie, 350 Days, is called that because they were on the road as many as 350 days a year. And Mm -hmm. if you sacrifice your body for a company 350 days a year and, you know, you're not considered... You're not considered an employee. You're an independent contractor. Come on, come on. Yep. You know, take care, take care of these guys and women, and um, you know. So I feel the wrestler. 
in many, many, many cases was accurate. And I took Darren Aronofsky, um, the executive producer, Scott, um, Scott Franklin, the screenwriter, Rob, and others. We went to indie wrestling shows every weekend. Uh, you know, I brought Ring of Honor on board. Um, we shot at Jersey All-Pro, uh, one scene with uh, Ron Killings and Romeo Roselli. Um, you know, I mean, we, we went to indie shows every weekend. We went to conventions. I took them to a convention. They had um, Moolah, Mae Young, Captain Lou, Nikolai, Iron Sheik, etc. There was like nobody there. Nobody there. It was it was sad. And Iron Sheik's head was down on the table sleeping. That's how empty it was. And that was not wow. in the origi- that was not in the original script. So Rob, the screenwriter, went back. And wrote that into the script because it, it, it really upset all of us to see that, that these legends were there and, and so few people cared to come out. And um, the other side of that story, um, I'm, on set, I'm on set one day and um, Darren Aronofsky gets this smirk and he goes, Evan, come here. And I go, yeah. And next thing he's telling me, uh, we're recreating that scene. And it's that, that sad autograph scene where there's like no fans. Johnny Valiant's head is down on the table recreating what Iron Sheik had done. And um, to make a long story short, he says to me, Evan, walk around the room, walk up to Mickey last, ask him for an autograph and a photo. So Mickey comes over to me, whispers in my ear, he goes, just improv it. He thinks I'm an actor. I'm not an actor. Okay? So, so I... So there's 125 or so people on set, giant cameras, and next thing I know, I'm acting in this movie out of nowhere, no makeup, nothing. And um, so I walk up, I walk up to Mickey, just like Darren told me, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking, like, what do I say? So I go, I go, what would I say to a wrestler? So I go, yeah, I loved you as a kid. I saw you as a garden at the garden. Can can I have your autograph? And he looks at me and he goes. What's your name? So I think for a second, and I go, Evan. So, so it, it dawns on me. It dawns on me. I'm playing myself in a fictional movie. How surreal this is. You know, absolutely bizarre. So uh, he signs the autograph for me. Darren runs over to me and starts pounding me on the chest, going, that was great. That was great. So uh, absolutely, like, one of the wildest moments of my life. And then the guy's up for the Oscar and wins the Golden Globe. You know, there's actors that are doing this 50 years. They're, they're never involved in anything that major. I'm there by accident, you know? So, true story. If you ever see the movie again, you can watch it. It's right there. Yeah. Well, for fans, for all of you do, that have seen the movie, now you understand that when you watch that scene, yes, Evan Ginsberg is in the movie. Total improv. Every every word of that was total improv. That scene, anyway, not the whole movie. We had a great script, but yeah. Oh anyway, man, can't you, I can't even. I can't imagine if the whole movie was uh, ad lib. Oh my goodness. I mean, but, there uh, were there there were plenty of moments, but I mean, it it, it was a beautiful script, also, you know. But uh, Mickey's oh, yeah. a great a- Mickey's a great actor. He could improv anything. No, yeah. It, it, let me tell you, I, I rarely cry in movies. I think the last movie I ever cried in before I saw The Wrestler was Titanic. Yes, yeah. folks, I'm, I lost my man card just because of that. But, uh... Yeah, but when, when, I, I, saw, saw when I saw Titanic, when I saw Titanic, I'm like, I can't believe this guy's dead. <laughs> you know, I was like in shock. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's, it's funny that I've always watched these parodies on YouTube of uh, Titanic 2 where they show uh, Leonardo DiCaprio coming back from the dead. And it's like, right. oh, my God, I don't know whether to believe this or not. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. but I, I wanted to ask you, Mr. Ginsburg, uh, and, and actually before I ask, let me warn the audience uh, before, in case there's anyone here that hasn't seen the movie. Guys, I'm going to give you five seconds to at least mute the radio for these next five seconds. The, this next question is for, of course, the people who've seen the movie. So spoiler alert, five seconds starting now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So 
you had your five seconds. So, Mr. Ginsburg, basically, I wanted to ask you. A lot of people are were a little confused with the ending of the movie. They were like, "What happened to Randy? What happened to Randy?" And of course, you guys did amazing by leaving that cliffhanger at the end, where of course you see Randy suffering from his uh, heart attack and then jumping off the top rope with his finisher uh, to defeat the Ayatollah. Uh, can you tell us? Go ahead. And, uh, can you tell us? What happens to Randy? What was that send-off? Was that like to say, hey, that's it, Randy's career's over after that? Or can you tell us what was the meaning of that ending? I'll tell you exactly what the uh, screenwriter told me. He said, he said either he dies right there in the ring or he eventually dies in the ring because he can't function in the real world. So it's even even with the writer, it's still open-ended. He either dies at that moment, you hear his heart pounding, he's obviously having a heart attack again, or he'll, he will die down the road in the ring. He just can't function in the real world. And that that's from the writer's mouth. So uh, that's... Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's an amazing... That, I would have never guessed that that was the point. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, you you hear everything. you you hear his heart going thump thump thump. You you could hear it, and and he you yep. could see his body language that he's having a heart attack. That 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 was pretty clear, but you just didn't know if he died there or not. Yeah. Exactly, because the last clip was him just jumping off the top rope, uh, not right. even showing that uh, he landed on Ayatollah, just him jumping off uh, with his signature uh, maneuver. But speaking about, you know, it, I know it's it, it's a tough subject for a lot of people, especially uh, for you being as close to him as uh, as you were. But you know, we recently lost one of great friends, one of your closest friends, like you were just mentioning him a couple seconds ago, and like I was mentioning before you came on the air, one of my favorite all-time heels of all time, Nikolai Volkov. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a man that came over to the country. Uh, you know, without a penny to his pocket, and of course meeting Stu Hart, and getting to train with Stu, and becoming a pro wrestler, and becoming one of the biggest, you know, inspirations when it comes to pro wrestling, uh, from where he started off to where he ended up. Uh, you know, Nikolai really set the bar for a lot of people, and I wanted to ask you, like being a friend, uh, what how do you feel about Nikolai's career, like how it expanded from being one of the most hated guys to one of the most lovable when he embraced the United States uh, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Um, Nikolai was one of the Mongols early on. Mm-hmm. And uh, later he became Nikolai Volkov and um the first match I ever went to, June 24, 1974, it was Freddie Blassie and Nikolai Volkov against Bruno and Strongbow at the Garden. And um, <laughs> uh, it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that all four of them are gone. All four of them. And uh, Bruno was like Superman. He could lift 500 pounds, bench press 500 pounds. Nikolai would shatter fruit in his bare hand. Just by squeezing an apple, it would explode on camera. These guys were like superhumanly strong, and Nikolai was uh, vegan and uh, you know very health, very health conscious. No drugs, no alcohol, early to bed, early to rise. This kind of guy, and I thought I thought they would both live to a hundred, Bruno and Nikolai, and. Uh, I would, as an agent, I would take Nikolai on the road for autograph signings, and um, one day, uh, you know, we would share we would share hotel rooms, motel rooms, and um, he would wake up first thing in the morning with hand carved blocks from the old country and do hundreds of push ups at the crack of dawn, hundreds of push ups, and wow. so one so one day he says to me, uh, Evan, let's arm wrestle. And I'm like, I'm like, this is this isn't gonna be much of a contest. And I'm not a little guy. I'm I'm like six three, you know, two ten. But uh, I'm arm wrestling with him. I can't move him an inch, not one inch. This is how powerful he is. And um, 
He, uh, <laughs> the nicest guy in the world, which is ironic because he always would tell us stories. At the garden, they would put him and Sheik on in the middle because they would have to hide in ambulances in the 80s you know, to get out of the garden, because if they came out after the show, they would have been murdered. The fans would have killed them. Because, you know, back then in the you know pre-internet days, uh, you know, the fans were kind of mocks, and they hated the heels, and they <laughs> wanted to murder Nikolai, who ironically was like the nicest guy in the world. So, uh, you know, same thing with Killer Kowalski. Killer Kowalski was a friend of mine, and he has a little cameo in 350 Days from an old film clip. And uh, Nick, uh, Killer Kowalski, I'll tell you a great story that he told me. Um, he, in the 1950s, he gets on the top rope, which was pretty unheard of for a big man back then, gets on the top rope, jumps off, and by accident, his knee rips the ear off of, of uh, Yukon Eric. His, his ear was very cauliflowered. Kowalski's knee, knee accidentally hit the ear and ripped it off mid-ring. Okay. So here's the punchline to the story. Kowalski, of course, feels terrible. You know, he's a nice guy. So he goes to visit Yukon Eric at the hospital. And he, he gets to the room, and he feels awful. And, you know, you never want to, you know, seriously hurt your uh, friend, opponent, whatever the case may be. So he gets to the, he gets to the hospital. And the guy's head, Yukon Eric's head, is totally bandaged, you know, like his ears ripped off. His whole head is bandaged up. And um, Kowalski looks at him, and he just gets this idea. He goes, he he looks like Humpty Dumpty. He looks like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> and he starts laughing. He starts <laughs> laughing. Okay. So he doesn't realize the other guys in the room are reporters. They have newspaper reporters. Okay. So the, the next day, all the newspapers say, Kowalski comes to hospital to mock his fallen opponent, you know, which which is not what happened, but that's that's what was reported, and, uh, you know, that was the kayfabe era, so the reporters are like, this is the most evil man in the world, you know, he actually came to laugh at UConn, Eric, so overnight, he was like the number one heel in the world, in the world, and also the nicest guy to like ever walk the face of the earth which is ironic. I found many times, many times, you know, my friends in the business, Johnny Valiant, uh, Nikolai, you know, these, these generally these guys were heels. The heels they 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 were they were acting. They enjoyed it. They were playing a part. Many times the faces needed the applause. You know, it was it was more ego. I I, I mean, I'm making a general statement. There were plenty of nice faces also, but Almost always the heels were nice guys in real life. It was interesting, <laughs> well, you know. And that brings up a great point. Of course, uh, you know, you you were mentioning during the time, of course, Nikolai Volkov, Yukon Eric, Killer Kowalski, uh, Fritz von Erich, you know, another uh, hated man back in the day because of his uh, the claw, the the stomach claw, yeah. uh, Reggie Parks, so on and so forth. But you know, it's back then. Fans, yes. Hey, gorgeous George. Uh, I, how can I forget the legend himself? You know, oh, yeah. a lot of people, not to mistake him uh, for the women, woman of Macho Man. Now, I'm not talking about that gorgeous George. I'm talking about the previous one. But, yeah, the um, 1940s and 50s and into the 60s, gorgeous George, who died broke at the age of 47 or so. Died broke. Yeah. Made millions of dollars and burned through it, gambling and, yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't even know about that one, my goodness. But, you know, fans really hated the heels back then. You know, they really, really despised them. And you would see it in even if you watch some of the old clips on YouTube or if you got a DVD or something, you would really see the hatred from these fans. And nowadays, Mr. Ginsburg, like you go to a WWE event or you go to an indie show or an ROH show, and now the heels are almost impossible to get over as that bad guy, you know, as that, so to speak, hey, hate me, stop cheering for me, hate me. You know, yeah, I, 
I was saying I was saying the other day that as an old school fan and and I still watch today's product and I love New Japan and I belong to Ring of Honor Honor Club and um the only guys I really see here that I hated heels are Chiampa in uh NXT. He this guy the fans hate him. It's working. Whatever he's doing it's working and to a degree Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar Looks like, you know, the uh, school bully who will take your lunch money. Brock Lesnar, a lot of the fans legitimately dislike, you know. But um, there's not too many. You know, it's almost like the heels want to be liked. It's like, oh, he's the cool heel. And it's, uh, it's, a different, it's a different world today. And the fans are different also. The fans know it's a work. And uh, when I was going in the 70s and even into the 80s, and those fans believed. They believed. They rioted. Uh, Johnny Valiant told me uh, he was in a riot one day. I mean, the, he, the fans were stomping him, stomping him. Mm-hmm. And Butcher, Bo- Butcher Paul Vachon, who's in 350 days, runs out and saves him, just saved his life. You know, um, Blackjack Mulligan was stabbed. Piper was stabbed. Mula was stabbed. Fred Blassie had acid thrown in his face. It was no joke back then. You know, back then nope. the fan the fans were very volatile, and uh, you know they would run into the ring and attack the heel, and uh, then they were always surprised when when the face clocked them also. <laughs> you know, but uh, some idiot fan runs into the ring. Yeah, let's attack like the biggest guy in the world. You know, but the, those fans got all worked up. And uh, there's a whole segment in 350 Days where the wrestlers are talking about this. Billy Graham said he came out one day and his car was totally destroyed. Totally destroyed. They just, Hmm. from the tires to the spark plugs to the the engine, the whole car was destroyed. (laughs) And he was laughing about it 30 years later, but at the time it wasn't funny, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. You know, can you imagine just leaving out of work today and today's age, and all of a sudden you come outside and you see your your you know your car on bricks and with the windows smashed? No, I definitely you'll you'll be a one upset puppy. I I will be upset. I'll tell you that much. So oh, yeah. I could I could definitely agree. But basically, going back to you know that the time period of, of Nikola Volkov. What one thing I want to say uh, for, as a fan, and I want to tell you this because you were one of his great friends. One of my favorite feuds of all time of Nikolai was when he feuded with Hogan. Oh yeah. To me, to me that was one of the shining stars feuds that he had besides Bruno San Martino, of course. But he was amazing in that feud, and people just hated him. Just well, it made of sense. Everyone... It made sense because Hogan was, you know, USA, USA, and he was Russia, and there was the Cold War back then, and it it was a perfect feud. And him and Bruno was the same thing. I mean, they were perfect together. Two huge, powerful guys, test of strength. I mean, uh, you know, guys like guys like Bret Hart could wrestle circles around them, but it worked. It worked, and uh, the fans ate it up. I was there. They ate it up. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it, and one last question about Nikolai, if, I, if you don't mind. You know, if there was any guy that you wish Nikolai had the opportunity to feud with uh, that he never got a chance to, would you name someone that uh, say, oh, I wish Nikolai had time to feud with this guy? Well, I would think um, in New York it would have made sense, like him and Dusty Rhodes, because Dusty Rhodes was like the All-American plumber's son, and they, for whatever reason, they never seemed to go that way. I would, I would have thought him and Dusty would have worked. Like I saw at the Nassau Coliseum, Dusty wrestled Ivan Koloff two months in a row in the main event, and that was, you know, great. It was great. It was, it made sense. It worked. So uh, for, for whatever reason, uh, Dusty and him never had like a regular program. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, good good point there. I did see uh, Dusty with of course like the million dollar man uh feuding with him. Uh, I saw him feuding with the macho man, but you never really saw one with Nikolai. Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, that, I know, mean Dusty Dusty was in and out since the late 70s in WWF, you know? I mean, so uh, for whatever hmm. reason it just never happened. 
Well, yeah, I, I just realized that now that you mentioned that, it's like, whoa, whoa, you actually schooled me there. <laughs> I, I mean, I I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they met along the way, but they just never had like a long-term feud or angle. Not in this territory, anyway. I'm sure they did it in Florida. That it would have been a fun feud to see on mainstream television, though. Yeah, it, yeah, just, it, it made sense. It made sense. Booking 101, USA versus Russia. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. Good. <laughs> I like the terminology you just used. Yeah. So, Evan, being, you know, of course, you started off as a wrestling fan when you first was growing into the business. Then, you, of course, you became associate, you know, uh, producer. I almost called you a director. Associate producer no. uh, along the way, of course, towards your path. And then, of course, you create this 350 Days documentary, and you get to work with so many legends when it comes to this. You worked with so many. You mentioned a few minutes ago, and, and, and Bret Hart was another one. Like, you... Like this honorable uh, feeling to be where you were, to work with these legends, hear these stories. Uh, how did it feel from being where you started as a fan to now working with all these legends? Um, sometimes you just have to pinch yourself. Um, <laughs> when um, when we did the New York premiere of 350 Days on July 12th, um, Greg Valentine and Lanny Poffo were staying at my house. So it's like you wake up in the morning and there's Greg Valentine and you know, you think back you think back to him headlining the garden against uh, you know, Backland and Tito and Hogan and there he is sleeping on your couch, you know, and there's uh, Lanny Poffo sleeping on your sleeping on your other couch. It's just very surreal and the the first time I ever went to the garden, um the Valiant brothers wrestled Dean Ho and Tony Guerrero and, you know, Johnny Valiant was a dear friend and, you know, he stayed by me many times and he, he tragically passed this year also. And Jimmy Valiant is still a good friend of mine. And it, it's just, um, it's, it, it's almost an, an honor to know these people because, you know, they're legendary performers, legendary. It's, um, you know, um, I don't, I don't have legendary singers sleeping on my couch. I don't have legendary actors sleeping on my couch. But you know, it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's very um, humbling. It's humbling to uh, call them friends. And um, one of the things that meant a lot to me meant a lot to me was um, my mother passed a year and a half ago, and um, Nikolai called. And Jimmy Valiant called, and Lanny called, and Johnny Valiant called, and you know it just gave me a boost when when you needed it. You know, it's like I I, I always looked up to these guys, and uh, you know, and it really uh, hit me hard. It's like a one-two punch, Johnny Valiant and Nikolai this year, just like a one-two punch. And Bruno, who I did not know personally, I mean I've met him, I've interviewed him, but. Uh, I did not know Bruno personally. That was like a childhood hero, and that was very painful too. And uh, you know, like I, Bruno at 82, uh, he, 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 it's, he it's like he had a young man's body and an old man's head. Like I thought the guy was going to live to 100. I thought Nikolai would live to 100. You know, um, if any, it's just mind-boggling that that these guys are gone. Mind-boggling. No, 100% agreed, because uh, especially uh, Bruno, not to, like, sideline anyone else, but everyone, everyone from even Triple H was affected when Bruno passed, because this was, like you said, a guy that we all thought was going to live to 100, uh, so so as Nikolai, because Nikolai, even for being what he was, he still looked great, you know, when you saw him at... <clears throat> At conventions, he still looked great. As a matter of fact, still, I know he was still wrestling up until a year or so ago. Yep, and as a matter of fact, he was booked on the upcoming uh, convention, I believe in August, uh, known as Boardwalk Beatdown. So yeah. the the man was still moving forward. He was not stopping because I saw he him. I saw to... him a month ago at Legends of the Ring. I saw him. He did a promo for uh, 350 days. I mean. 
you know, you would never dream he'd be dead a month later. It, it's very, very shocking, and uh, especially at 70, because he was so health conscious. You know, 70 is not old by today's standards whatsoever. It's uh, The average life expectancy for a male in America is like 82, average. So he actually died younger than the average, which was shocking to me. Um, it's still hard to like wrap my head around the whole thing um, three days later. Well, one thing, uh, you know, I know this was not Nikolai's, ex- uh, you know, intention because, of course, he wasn't expecting it, nor was you or me. But one thing that Nikolai did show us, you know, with his passing was to value life because you just never know when it's going to be your time. Oh, so, yeah. I, um if Patton Oswalt, the um, comedian, uh, actor, mm-hmm. comedian, he, he did a he did a comedy special, and he talks about his wife suddenly dying. I mean, she was healthy, and boom, she was gone in her fifties. And she said to him, "It's all random. It's all random. I'm talking to you now. You know, I could live to 103. I I could drop dead tomorrow. I could get hit by a truck like Johnny Valiant did. Who knows?" You know, I, 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 I could be interviewed on a radio show 40 years from now. I could be dead four days from now. It's random. It really is. It's, uh, yep. you know, you have some, you have some uh, jogger who's in peak physical shape, runner, jogger, and the guy's 35. He doesn't have an ounce of fat. He eats healthy, and the guy drops dead in the street, you know, jogging. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> You never know. So I'm not saying this to bum your audience out. I'm saying this, enjoy yourself, do what you love, follow your muse, follow your passion. You know, I was I was a kid watching wrestling in the 70s and 80s. I never dreamed I'd be working with these guys, friends with these guys, an agent with these guys. I mean, things. you got to be in the game for things to happen. And uh Whatever your dream or passion is, whether it's wrestling, music, acting, whatever the case is, you know, pursue it. Pursue it 110%. I mean, you're talking to me now. You could be on WWE TV in two years, you know, doing this mm-hmm. for an international audience. Who knows? You know, things happen. Um, I, I see guys on WWE uh, Network. I'm, I'm not all that impressed. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching these guys. I'm like, I, I don't know. This guy's not Gordon Sully. He's got a show on there. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to name names, but, uh, you know, things happen. Right place, right time, right networking. You, you never know how far things can go. Uh, if, if anybody told me, you know, I'd be a producer and acting with an Academy Award nominee. I said, what are you, nuts? You know, I'm, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how that happened, ironically. It, it just Please. occurred to me. I was, as an agent, I had Johnny Valiant and Nikolai Volkov doing an autograph appearance, and the executive producer's best friend happened to be there, and he starts chatting with us, and we all hit it off. Johnny and Nikolai were super friendly, and uh, we all hit it off. Next thing I know, hey, you guys want to come meet with Darren Aronofsky? We got this wrestling movie we're working on. And we're like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, and yeah. so it's just like right place, right time. And uh, otherwise it would have been just a meaningless, you know, autograph appearance. So uh, sometimes when you're just doing things, you, you happen to be, right place, right time, and sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, but uh, life is strange. It takes strange twists and turns, you know? Ain't that the truth? (laughs) You you speak the truth there, sir. And and I have to ask you this, you know, speaking about legend still and and your documentary, The 350 Days, uh, 350 Days, sorry, Uh, you know, was there ever a legend? I I know you had a lot of legends on the list, from Bret Hart to Ted DiBiase to Abdullah the Butcher to Jimmy Valiant, so on and so forth. I mean, uh, superstar Billy Graham, I apologize. Right, Billy Graham. You know, yeah, so on and so forth. Uh, how did I ever mistake Billy Graham for Jimmy Valiant? I'm so sorry. Well, they they they, they were pretty similar, you know. They had they had the uh, <laughs> gift of gab. Those guys, I love both those guys. Yeah. <laughs> was there ever a legend 
uh, that comes to mind uh, that you wish you were able to include in that 350 days? Not saying that you were disappointed with the documentary, but was there ever an added name that you wish you were able to add in there? If if we had, you know, more of a budget, it's also not a huge budgeted film. If we had more time, Roddy Piper would have been great. Would have been great. Uh, he died very young. He died while we were still working on it. He was only 61 when he passed. I tell people all the time, I would see Heel Piper at the Garden mid-80s, and uh, he'd, he'd come down the aisle, and there would be absolute chaos, carnage, blood, you know, chairs, <laughs> you know, and 8, 10, 12, 15 minutes later, you could breathe again. You could just, oh, my God, that was it was unbelievable. It was just like you could suddenly breathe again. That's how exciting it was to see Piper Snooker, you know, uh, Piper Hogan, Piper and Orton against Snooker and Tonga Kid, et cetera, so on. Uh, Piper and Orton against Snooker and JYD. I mean, it, it, was like, it was like a tornado hit the ring. I was there one night. It was Piper and Dr. D against Andre and Snooker, and they carried Andre out bloodied in a stretcher. I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. You know, that's how over Piper was. They're carrying Andre out on a stretcher. And it was Piper, Piper is a heel. It was some of the most exciting nights of my life. Any entertainment. I mean, you know, I saw James Brown live, Al Green. You know, it's like I'm talking any entertainment. It, it was just unbelievable to see heel Piper in his prime at the Garden. Just amazing, amazing. And, uh, you know, and when if you watch YouTube now and you turn on Piper and Snooker, the charisma is so off the charts, you can't believe these guys are gone. You can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree a hundred percent because when they actually made a return to make that little uh, cameo spot in the Royal Rumble, I forgot what year it was, but uh, in Madison Square Garden, the the entire audience just went ballistic, and just to see those two in the ring together at the same time, everyone just went insane. And actually, um, I'm going to just pause until I reach my last question here, real quick. I, I do have a question here in the chat from Monica. Um, she, okay, Monica says, dear Evan, what do you think of the women's revolution? Honestly, um, I think it's, I think WWE, um, overhypes it. I, I, I have not seen 10 great matches in 10 years. I think they should just let them wrestle, give them sufficient time. Many of those women are great wrestlers. Natalia's a great wrestler. Charlotte's a great wrestler. Asuka's a great wrestler. Just let them wrestle. Give them the same amount of time they give the men. Forget all the uh, silly storylines. Just let them wrestle. Because what, what I'm not seeing is a lot of great matches. I'm seeing good matches. I'm seeing okay matches. I'm seeing very good matches. You're not getting that flash steamboat. You're not getting that Dory Funk Jack Briscoe. You're not getting that Nigel McGuinness uh, Brian Danielson. You're, you know, you're not getting Okada Omega, Kenny Omega, is what I'm saying. So, on the one hand, it's great that they're pushing them. On the other hand, I, I don't think they're doing them justice by they're still playing a secondary role. Give them. 20, 25 minutes, and just let them wrestle without all the nonsense. And you don't need a five-minute entrance. I mean, just, you know, cut to the chase. Give them time in the ring, and I think you'll see. You'll, uh, what I want to see when I watch wrestling, I don't care how pretty they are. I don't care what they're wearing. I want to see great wrestling. That's, so I'm not seeing enough great matches. I'm seeing great talent, but not great matches. I'm sure this isn't the answer she wanted, but I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, while you're talking, she's she said uh, Monica says uh, to kind of uh, rebuttal with what you were saying. She says I thought Bailey versus Sasha Banks in NXT was awesome. Okay, I agree. But uh, can you name ten great women's matches in the past ten years? Ah. Uh. 
Well, so, Monica, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. So, I agree with us. That was great. That was great. And uh, yeah. But there's not a lot of – the matches I mentioned, <clears throat> Kenny Omega and uh, Okada, you can't tell mm-hmm. me there's been a lot of women's wrestling in WWE that's on that level. And part of it is because they don't give them the time or the attention. So uh, I'm not saying they're not capable of it. I think they are. But uh, let, let's see them do it. Yeah. And Monica says thank you very much. And actually, thank you, Monica, for asking these questions and comments in our chat room. I have another question here for you, Mr. Ginsburg. Man, I, <laughs> it looks like the, the fans took my last two questions, especially this one. I had this one in mind, but because we're running short on time, uh, Ray, you're going to be our last question. Uh, so basically, Ray wants to know, uh, Mr. Ginsburg, do you see Hulk Hogan returning? Yeah, because I think with WWE, it always comes down to money. If he makes them money, he'll uh, return. I, I think that's what it always comes That's the bottom line with them. The bottom line is the bottom line with them. If he makes some money, he'll be back. I'm not that's saying awesome. what's right or wrong, good or bad. I'm just, the question is, will he re- return? I'm saying yes. Yeah. Yeah, because when I actually interviewed Jerry Lawler here in Florida Supercon, and Ray, thank you very much for your question. I hope that answered your question there. Um, When I interviewed Jerry Lawler down here in the Florida Supercon, uh, he had mentioned that your same thing, that, yeah, he should be coming back to television, and that the whole thing was kind of like blown out of proportion as far as what transpired. Uh, I could understand, of course, both sides of the fence, as far as those that were offended and those that defend them, uh, uh, I understand completely. I take a middle ground, as I assume you as well do. Uh, and I see Hulk Hogan returning, too. As a matter of fact, my top opinion is that I feel like Hulk Hogan might be returning at WrestleMania, that they're going to hold him off at most to WrestleMania, minimum Royal Rumble. What, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, he'll be back for WrestleMania and WWE is not about great matches. WWE is about selling t-shirts and merchandise and Hulk Hogan's a merchandise machine. So, you know, he's millions of dollars in their pocket and that's all that that's really going to matter to them. And, uh, I say he'll be back soon. I mean, the hints, you know, the hints are already there. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. Especially with everyone jumping on the uh I, when they were coming here to Miami, Florida, uh Hogan actually tweeted saying, "Oh, on my way to the 305," and everyone went insane. <laughs> hmm. If I, Mr. Ginsburg, if I told you how many Hulk Hogans there were in my section in the crowd, uh, I I'll, pff, you'll be uh you won't be surprised. I'll just tell you that much. You know what's but, funny? Uh, uh, Hogan was great with Orndorff. Hogan was great with Savage. Hogan was great with Piper. Um, but many times it was the same match. <laughs> you know, the same eight-minute match and a leg drop. But um, <laughs> certain guys, it was, certain guys with him, it was magic. Other others, uh, it was a little disappointing. And uh, yeah. what can I, I? I was there. I think. I, I think the best match he's ever had, bar none was in Japan, and that was against Antonio Inoki and Great Muda, in my opinion. Yeah, he could wrestle when he wanted to. Um, <laughs> not really. Uh-huh. I mean, it just it just became a little repetitive, the uh, Superman comeback leading to the leg drop, you know. Uh, a, li- a little <laughs> I mean, predictable, that's... yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I became that little uh, kid crying when he lost at WrestleMania six. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. WrestleMania six. <laughs> but okay. anywho, uh, Mr. Ginsburg, I want to say thank you so very much for taking your time here to share so many stories with us, especially behind-the-scenes stories of Nikolai about the 350 days, even sharing some backstage stories on, of course, The Wrestler. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Before you go, I, I do want the our audience to know where, of course, they could catch 350 days if there's any screenings for your documentary anywhere uh of course uh <clears throat> where they, how they could contact you for any kind of uh things uh, when it comes to documentary the wrestler or or just any upcoming project you have uh 
or even your show, your radio show, the Evan Ginsberg sure, Show. Sure, sure. Um, the Evan Ginsberg Show is heard Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, VillageConnectionRadio.com. You can watch it streamed. And on uh, Sunday, September 23rd, we're going to have a two-hour tribute to Nikolai, which will be very powerful. A few months back, we did a two-hour tribute to Johnny Valiant. It's an arts program. It's not just wrestling. We have live musicians, hip-hop artists, actors, writers, the, the whole spectrum. Um, 350 days, we uh, will be announcing our distribution sometime in the fall. We're still working on that. Um, you can check out some great writing at ProWrestlingStories.com if you like old-school wrestling. I wrote a... Uh, very uh, moving piece about Nikolai the other day uh, and about Johnny Valiant and others, um, ProWrestlingStories.com. It's really an old – it's really, if you love history, that's the website for you. They're not going to, like, run down everything that happened on Raw. It's not that kind of website. And <laughs> um, – and, um, we have a movie called Wrestling Then and Now featuring Nikolai and Killer Kowalski and Homicide and a bunch of other guys on Amazon Prime you could check out. That's an older film that we did, uh, you know, a while back. And uh, that's pretty much it. Um, my, my name's E-V-A-N-G-I-N-Z-B-U-R-G. I'm on all social media if you want to reach out to me. And uh, I appreciate you taking this much time to talk to us and you know, support 350 days. We, you know, really appreciate it. Of course. Uh, we 100% support 350 days. And, Mr. Ginsburg, I know you're an extremely busy guy with all your projects and, and even your show, but if you ever want to call in to just, you know, talk more updates or even give our listeners any updates for anything, hey, our house is your house now. You're part of the oh, Russell I City appreciate Radio it. Family. Yeah, yeah, send me, send me that information. I'll take you up on that one day. Absolutely, absolutely. Awesome, Mr. Ginsburg. Thank you so very much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. It was a huge honor for me to speak with you. I hope you have a fantastic night over there, okay? Uh, you too. Thanks so much for the support. Really appreciate it. Of course, Mr. Ginsburg. Have a great uh, okay. night. You too. Bye-bye. 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 Guys, that was Mr. Evan Ginsburg. What a great human being that man is. Uh, of course, the associate producer of... 350 Days, the documentary, and the wrestler featuring Mickey Rourke. Again, guys, he spoke so great about all his projects, including the wrestler behind the scenes. He even went ahead and spoiled it of, as far as like what we were supposed to feel at the end of the wrestler as an exclusive answer there. Guys, I want to say thank you very much for everyone who's tuned in to our episode here today with Evan Ginberg. Make sure you tune in next week when we have our special guest, Danger Hawk, uh, from Shikara here on the show. I want to say for everyone here on Russell City Radio from backstage to here uh, to myself, thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great night. Thank you very much. Stay real. Good night. Come to the